Where is the boasting? It's actually one of the things that Paul says in Romans chapter 3. As we finish up these, this portion of chapter 3, going verse by verse through Romans, I want to ask you a question. Who can brag about their salvation? Can you imagine getting to heaven and meeting somebody who says, ah, you're looking at the guy that got in all because he was good. Or somebody else who said, I went to church every week all my life. And somebody else says, I went to church five days a week. Somebody says, oh, I went to church seven days a week. I mean, what kind of nightmare would that be to be in a place where everybody's bragging? Well, I want to ask you, is there anybody that can brag about their salvation? You can brag about your Savior, but not about you getting saved, about how you got there. Let's talk about this. Let's go to Luke chapter 18 before we go to Romans. Gospel of Luke chapter 18. When you're going there, let me just by introduction, and it's true, people love to boast. You ever been around fishermen? <laughs> I caught this fish. Mm, I like that. Uh, some people boast about being Catholic. I'm a Catholic, you know. I was born a Catholic, I'll die a Catholic. Some people boast about being atheist or agnostic. There are people who even, even the very humble sometimes boast about being humble. Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm very humble. <laughs> very timid. Oh, I would never do that because I'm very humble. People boast. Now, the problem is that uh, people boast about their goodness. They boast about how good they are and about their religiosity. I talk to them all the time. I'll say, how would, if you were to die, I got to ask that question all day yesterday afternoon. If you were to die, where would you go? Do you know where you would go? And they say, sure, I, I think I'd go to heaven. Why? I'm not a bad person. It's a bit boastful. Now look at Matthew, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 18. This idea of being able to brag on your morality, your goodness, your religiosity. It's been in man's, man's heart for a long time. I've got to get to Luke chapter 18. And starting in verse 9, it says this. And he, Jesus, spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous... And they despised others. So what was their attitude was, I'm a good guy. And that guy's, oh, he's, he's dirt. Verse 10, two men went up to the, uh, up to the temple to pray. Um, well, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Now, a publican is not a, not a normal publican like we have here in Ireland, although they're nearly the same. But a publican was a, was a, a community official that, that made sure you paid your taxes. And he made a lot of money off of people in all kinds of ways. He was sort of the center of commerce, and he was a crook. And so here's this, he's a thief is what he is. And here's this thief in the temple of all places. How dare he be in here next to this Pharisee? Let's go on. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I could just hear him. I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners. The other word for that is bankers unjust, adulterers, or even, I'm glad I'm not like this publican. Verse 12, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. All right, so far, he sounds like a pretty good guy. Fasting is not bad. Tithing is not bad. Being in the temple is not bad. So far, not such a bad person, right? Look at the next one, verse, 12, verse 13, and the publican, standing afar off, would not, so, not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven. You know, some people pray with their eyes open. I always worry about them. When I come before God, I, man, I want to focus on him. I close my eyes. I bow my head in absolute humility. I don't belong there. I'm not looking around while I'm praying. It doesn't work. But this, this publican 
closes his eyes. He would never dare to look up to heaven. He smote upon his breast. He is, he is hurting his, his body because he's hurting inside. And he says, saying, God, be merciful to me. A what? What does he see himself as? So what does the Pharisee see himself as? A righteous man. I'm a good guy. And the publican, he sees himself as a sinner. Watch verse 14. Watch Jesus say, I tell you, this man, this publican, this thief, this sinner, went down to his house justified. We'd say pardoned, forgiven, rather than the other. For everyone that <gasps> exalted himself, fills himself up with pride about himself, shall be <coughs> abased. You hear that word base? It's at the bottom. He that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So tell me, did anything the super-religious Pharisee do catch the attention of God? Not at all. As a matter of fact, it says he was praying with himself. <laughs> Heaven didn't even notice him. Could he boast to God about anything he had done? Not, not, not really. What about that sinful publican? Did he even try to boast? No, he didn't. Yet which one went out of his house pardoned, forgiven, right with God? Which one? that sinful, traitorous publican. How? Because he admitted he was a sinner. He sought mercy. He sought forgiveness from God without any good works at all. Now, this is all very important because when you start bo boasting and bragging about how good you are and how God surely owes you to get to heaven, you've missed the whole boat. You know where the most, the most amazing truth of the gospel is that the inability to boast is good. You ever been around somebody and they could tell you about their fishing or they could tell you about the car they've just restored. Or they could tell you about the job they're doing and you just feel like, I haven't done anything. Amen. Because that's what it takes to get right with God. Nothing. <laughs> you need a someone. That's what we're going to talk about here. All right, let's go to uh, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, we'll pick up here in verse 19. And the first thing we're going to be reminded about is that God's law has a purpose. Romans 3, 19. <clears throat> now we know that whatsoever things the law saith, say it to them that are under the law. Guess how many of us are under the law? All of us. I mean, we all operate under the law of gravity, all the laws of physics, where well, we all operate under the law of God too, whether you know it or whether you like it, that how many mouths may be stopped? Remember these words, that every mouth may be stopped and that the world may become guilty before God. What a powerful, listen, these are not called, I'm not sure why this is giving me, these are not called the 10 suggestions, are they? They are called commandments for a reason. And just like any written law, they have an important purpose. First of all, to stop us from arguing. I mean, just there's nothing more I can say. Stop men from debating with God. God's laws give, it, give us absolute rights or wrong. Is it wrong for you to honor and obey your parents when you're a kid? It is right. It's an absolute commandment. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. So the laws of God stop people from arguing. Well, you don't know my parents. Well, I know you. 
And I know, not, I know now why they want to kill you. <laughs> the laws of God are absolute rights and wrongs. You can argue with me all day. Well, why do you understand? I don't know. But you cannot argue with God. So it stops us from debating and arguing. And secondly, the law proves our guiltiness. And we looked at this before. Go back to verse 9, chapter 3 and verse 9. Just a few Verses back, verse 9, what then? Are we Jews better than they sinning Gentiles is what he's saying? No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all what? They're all immersed in sin. They're all sinners. So it proves our guiltiness before God. Look back in chapter 3, verse 23 now, which is our memory verse. But it's what Paul is getting at. He's saying for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul has listed 30 sins already in chapter 1 and chapter 2. He's proven that I may not sin like everyone else, but I have my own set of sins. You have your own set of sins. We sin. We all sin against God. And by the way, guiltiness is not a feeling. Do you know, uh, uh, Thomas here, uh, he can run a red light last night. As a matter of fact, uh, we were in the car and uh, sitting there waiting. Uh, we were just down here by the super value. I'm sitting there and there's a guy turning right in to go into super value and his car's blazing by us about, I don't know, 60, 70 kilometers an hour. He's honking his horn as if this guy pulling his is wrong. But the lights on our side were red. My point, if it was you, because I looked, no. If it was you, and if the guard were right behind me, I would have loved it. Because <laughs> this guy didn't, I, I, he wasn't some, some secret guard of car either. But it would have been cool for a guard to pull him over. And here's the point. And the guard pulls him over, and the guy says, what? And the guard says, you just ran a red light. You just endangered somebody who was just pulling in. I don't feel guilty. It doesn't matter whether you feel guilty or not. You are guilty. Does that make sense? Everyone going to church in this country today, including in here, when I say everyone, I mean generally, comes and they go, I don't feel guilty. I don't feel like I'm a sinner. That doesn't matter. The Bible proves it. And the sooner you catch up with the word of God, the sooner you can get saved. Because we argue with God and we go, well, I don't feel like I'm that bad of a person. You can tell a guard all your day, I don't feel like I did wrong, but you did. And when God shows you your sin, you need to finally go, uh, okay. So to prove our guiltiness, and third, to warn us, this law of God warns us that there's a judgment day coming. It's called the great white throne judgment. We can't go through it right now, but that is the most terrifying moment, and I'm glad I'm free from it. Because if you ever live flippantly, live your life for yourself, there will come what they call payday. There will come judgment day. And you'll stand there and the Lord says, roll the tape. And they'll go through your entire life. God's got all time and eternity. He'll take all the time it takes to go through and see, did this person live up to perfection? And it'll be true that none of us did. And he says, if his name's not written in the book of life, he's cast in the lake of fire. That's supposed to scare us. The law is righteous, and it proves our guilt, and it shows us our judgment. So far, so good, right? Verse 20, back there in Romans chapter 3. I don't know why it says 3, 4. It should say verse 20. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. 
we read there, it says that all the world may become guilty for God. Verse 20, therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified. There's that word pardoned in God's sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So God's law has a, a limit. And the limit is it cannot save you. It cannot help you once it has exposed your flaws, your sins. No one can even be cleansed by it. We talk about cleansing in the Bible, washing away our sin. You know, you stand before an x-ray and an x-ray shows you cancer, shows you tumors, shows you uh, uh, growths, shows you problems. Are you going to hug the x-ray and take the x-ray home and hope it heals you? No. The law of God shows me my sin. It shows me where I'm wrong, shows me where I've done wrong, shows me my nature. I don't then go, oh, the law can now save me. The law only shows sin. Does that make sense? That's why it's important when you talk to people and you give them the gospel, you do need to expose them to the law and that God is right to judge. Because everybody says, oh, I'll take the love of God, but they won't respect the justice of God. So law is important. No one can be healed by an x-ray machine and no one can be cleansed by the law. So stop trusting in it. And when I say that, I'm speaking to people who maybe you're trusting that, oh, I keep the law. I keep the commandments. I try to keep them. Well, I'm glad. But that's like I go and get an x-ray every week. It doesn't heal you. It doesn't save you. So stop trusting in it. Listen to it and accept its conclusions. When you go to the doctor and you say, I feel fine, the doctor says, but there's a spot on your lungs, and if we don't get it out, it will spread throughout the rest of your body. You'll be dead in nine months. You know the smartest thing to do? No, the, the first thing you should do is change your diet, get some health food into you, do some things. But the smartest thing for you to do is to listen and pay attention because that man's probably trying to save your life, Amen. And when you come to the Bible and it says you're going to hell, the first thing you should do is listen to it. Don't fight it. Don't I? Well, I don't think I deserve hell. Man, do you understand? Do you think we're all just going to march into heaven and have the same type of hell life up there that we have now? Do you really want to bring all your sin into God's presence? Something's got to happen. Something's got to wash away our sin. And what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So listen to it. Let me say the third one is even going to be harder. Expect for God to judge you. I was sitting next, uh, sitting next on an airplane to a, to a nun. Uh, she was a mother superior of some nunnery in Africa. She had spent 40 years of her life. She was retiring. And I said, tell me about what it was like. And she started to tell how hard it was being a nun in Africa. And I gave her one of my leaflets, I, um, better than I deserve. And I gave her that leaflet, and I said, would you mind reading this? And then I want to ask you a question. She said, sure. Oh, this looks interesting. So she read the whole thing through, read to the back. She looked at me. She said, I agree with all of it except the last statement. I said, what's that? She said, that part that where it says that I'm a sinner and I deserve hell. I said, all right, can I show you something? And I started to show her the Bible. She closed the Bible. She said, if God doesn't take the last 40 years of my life as enough to get me into heaven, then I want nothing. This is what she said. I want nothing to do with him. She's a bitter woman. <laughs> I, don't, I can't tell you. She had been through a lot of trouble, trauma, stuff in her trying to serve God, but she thought that all of that would get her to heaven. 
Sorry, the best of the best of us are sinners. And we need a savior. So when you start to listen to the law of God and you put yourself under the law, you're going to come to the conclusion, I deserve judgment. But I want mercy. Amen. So let's keep going because that will get you ready for the next statement. Look in verse 21, Romans 3, 21. But now I love this. It's like Paul is like coming out of his seat. He's excited. He says, but now the righteousness of God without the law is revealed. It's manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness, not of man, but of God, which is by, circle the next word, faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that, circle the next word, believe, for there's no difference. We'll get on to verse 23 in just a second, but two times Paul says the righteousness of God. What a statement. Do you know what that is? It's perfect righteousness. It is perfect morality. It is sinless perfection. And Paul amazingly says, perfect righteousness that God has and that God expects when it says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all fall short of his perfection. But that perfection is available to anyone without them doing anything. Isn't that Amazing. So here's a question. How does someone become righteous, Paul is saying? Well, not by being righteous. Gleb, you need to be good now. Don't do one thing wrong. Don't say one thing wrong. Don't think one thing wrong. Don't have a bad attitude. Oh, that's going to be hard. <laughs> and he says, can't do it. Good. Amen. You see what I'm saying? The righteousness of God is not something we can attain to. What Paul is saying, righteousness of God is available to. You can become righteous. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You're in Romans. Go to the right. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. What is the theme of the book of Romans? It is understanding the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. I don't care what church, what group you say, oh, you're a good person. No, no, no. If you've if you got any unrighteousness in you, you're not inheriting heaven. Be not deceived, neither, here we go, fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, that's arguers, nor extortioners, those are bankers, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Pretty serious, pretty damning, amen? But does it stop there? Your Bible doesn't end the chapter and close the book. No, verse 11, and such were some. I think those are the most amazing words ever. Such were some of you. But ye now are what? Well, isn't that a wonderful but ye are, I've been out camping, and as long as I've ever camped was when I was in, um, in Boy Scouts. We, we walked, I don't know, 10 or 11 miles out to some campsite. I, th I thought we got to Mars by then because it felt like it. And, and we set up camp, and it rained the first three days. And so our underwear, our socks, our shoes are all hanging over the fire, and it's in the rain. And so like then the sun came out, and we sweated to death. We're dying or whatever. Seven days camping, and we come home. Guess what I wanted? 
No. A shower. I couldn't stand myself. I mean, wow. And the Bible says you're washed. Isn't that a wonderful word? Ye are sanctified. You're, you're special now. But ye are, here's that word again, justified in the power of the name of Jesus, of the Lord Jesus, and by the Spirit of our God. I think that's priceless. 1 John 1, 7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, does what? Cleanses us, constantly cleanses us from all sin. Now, this pardon, this forgiveness has been described throughout the Bible. I mean, it said back there in Romans, you can go back there, uh, but you probably, I got some more verses to go through in a second, but it said the righteousness of God is witnessed, is testified throughout uh, all the law and the prophets. And most people don't know this, that Pharisee didn't seem to know it. But from the very first pages of your Bible, God's talked about something called faith. Remember Adam and Eve? Remember when they disobeyed God and the consequences were going to be death? And God said, I'll let these lambs die as long as you'll wear their skin. You accept their death, I'll let you live. You think about, uh, uh, uh. And they took those skins and they put them on, changed their, their fig leaves. And they put on the skins of an animal that they saw be killed so they could be allowed to, 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 be, to still live. Faith. God didn't say, all right, now you got to pray 10 Hail Marys and do 14 Our Fathers. Didn't tell him to do anything. He said, accept the lamb in your place. That's faith. I'll show you another one. Take your Bible. Go to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Faith is throughout your... This Bible is a book of faith. Yeah, there are commandments in there, but wow, faith is better. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, 12.1. And from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Had he been to the promised land yet? No. He says, I'm going to take you somewhere and you won't know you're there till I tell you you're there. Verse 2. And I will make of thee a great nation. Now Abraham, he's old. He's 75 years old. I'm, that can't be old because I'm getting close. <laughs> but he was old. He had no children. He and his wife, Sarah, had no children. God said, I'm going to make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing and I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curses thee and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham, guess what he did? He believed God. He said, honey, we're leaving. And she said, where are we going? He said, I have no idea. She said, this is normal. <laughs> and they took off. That's faith. They just believe what God promised. He said, verse 4, it says, So Abraham departed, as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 70 and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Psalm 32, middle of your Bible. Psalm 32. Stay with me now. Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is he, whose transgression is what? Wouldn't it be great if God said, blessed is the man that never sinned? That'd be cool. 
But God can't say that because that guy doesn't exist. Amen. Blessed is he whose sin is forgiven. Uh, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. When it says covered, it means paid for. Like, you know, you go out to eat and somebody says, I'll cover it. You still use that phrase. I'll cover it. I'll pay for it. Whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man under whom the Lord imputeth. Circle that word because we're going to use that word in a minute. Imputeth not iniquity, sin, and in whose spirit there's no lie, no deceits, no guile. So the point is, Righteousness is received by faith only. Back there in Romans 3 now. Romans 3. We'll try to make some traction here. Our memory verse, Romans 3.23. For by grace are you saved through faith. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not there. Verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It doesn't stop there. It's only got a semicolon. It says, keep reading. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Not in the Catholic Church, the Baptist Church, the Buddhist group. Redemption is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare the righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare I say at this time his righteousness Christ's righteousness that he might be just like a judge is supposed to be just and fair and he's also the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus now when we talk about righteousness without the law it's not just any faith you're actually believing what Jesus said. It's the faith of Jesus. What he said to believe, I'm going to believe. I'm not even trying to help come up with my own faith. I just believe what he said, and that does it. It is so wrong that most people have their own faith. You can have your own faith all you want. You can believe there are little green men who are on Mars waiting to attack. You can believe whatever you want, but you'll never get saved. Not until you believe what Jesus said to believe. He tells us that he's the Lamb of God. Come to take away the sin of the whole world. He tells us to trust in him. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Trust him. Uh, most people uh, miss salvation because they, they miss the simple instructions. Kind of like Nita. I always get reminded of this. and I always think of this. Nita's shaking her head. Don't use me. But the truth is... I'll come home and I've just spent all day doing something and I'll sit down and she'll confirm this. She'll say amen. I'll sit down and she'll begin to just talk. She'll start telling me about something and she says, now I'm going to go up here and I need you to check the, uh, the oven and in 15 minutes I need you to change it to this temperature and then I need you to get this out of the fridge and I'm going, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And she's gone and two hours later everything's burnt. I'm not paying attention. And you know why most people go to hell? Because they're not paying attention. There are just a few details you need to know. And you forget it's all by faith. Faith alone. God's righteousness is available to all that just simply believe on Jesus. I give you the example of my mom. She hates flying. She's afraid of flying. She doesn't believe in flying. But if she ever believed in flying, guess what she'd do? She'd get on an airplane, wouldn't she? And if you ever would believe on Jesus, it's not that you come to church, it's that you'd go to him and say, I need your mercy, I need to be saved. However you want to ask, he's waiting to save you. 
So how do you be made righteous? He goes on, verse 24. I love how he says it, being justified freely by his grace. We'd say kindness, unmerited favor. Grace is just being nice to you when you don't deserve it, amen? It says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitious. You hear these big words? These are Bible words. Through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission, it's another Bible word, of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier. There they are. All right. So what's our condition? Our condition is we're sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter whether someone sinned more than you or less than you. By the way, you've probably sinned more than others. But we all fall short. And, and our condemnation is we're not going to heaven. There's no limbo nor purgatory. There's only one other place for us. Where is it? It was created for the devil and his angels. It was not created for anybody. But if you choose not to go to heaven, you're going to a devil's hell. God offers salvation. Did you notice this? Justified. Did you see those words? Propitiation, redemption. Just These are priceless words. When we say the word redemption, it means to pay off a debt. If you've got a mortgage on your house, you are redeeming your house. Did you know that? You may have borrowed. Some of us only borrowed, you know, tens of thousands of euros. Other people are buying, borrowing hundreds of thousands of euros to buy a house. Now, it's terrifying. Think about it. But from that moment they sign that document, they are paying back the bank to redeem. So one day they can hold the title deed to their house. Amen? It's called redeeming the debt. And Jesus redeemed our debt, didn't he? The redemption. Uh, another word here is propitiation. It means to pay it in full. Can you imagine breaking somebody's widow, uh, window with a, with a slitter ball? You're going out and you're playing with your grandson. Whack. <coughs> oh, my goodness. The kid runs and you hide. It would be one thing to go up and say, sorry. And then the owner looks out and says, but who's going to pay for the window? <laughs> Amen. Propitiation is you don't just say you're sorry. You actually make full payment. Can you make full, full payment for all of your sin? No, but there's somebody who can. His name is Jesus. That's where the word propitiation comes in. How about remission? We use that word mainly with cancer and, and extreme illness, where we say cancer is re in remission. It means it's going away. And you know what Jesus did? He took my sin away. When he died on the cross, guess where all my sin was? Placed on him. And when he died, he took it to hell, dumped it in hell. Hallelujah. It's not on me anymore. When God looks down on me, he's somebody, he sees somebody who's clean. He sees somebody who's washed. He sees somebody who doesn't have a criminal record anymore. He sees his son. <laughs> How did I get that? By faith. I just went, I want it. Remission and justification. Justification means to make someone right, good, to have a clean record. If somebody's got a criminal record and they go in and they correct it and they remove it they've been justified all these words describe a thing called imputation i remember the first time i ever preached on this word i was in new jersey and i'm a texan and my accent had not mellowed so for the full 40 50 minutes i preached on the concept the doctrine of imputation 
And in the end, I had a guy at the back. He says, oh, Ledbetter, I want to ask you a question. What does amputation have to do with anything? <laughs> he had not a clue the word I was using. But impute, imputation is a judicial swap changing. It's, a, 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 it's, a, it's a, 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 an exchange charging your debts to someone else who has no debts and transferring their credit to you. Go to 2 Corinthians. Hold your place here. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. We looked at this a couple weeks now. For he, speaking of God, hath made him, speaking of Jesus, for God has made Jesus to be sin for us. You ought to circle those three words. Those are the most awful. I wouldn't want to take the punishment for your wrongdoing. And yet he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we sinners might be made the right, there's our term, righteousness of God in him. So there's Jesus Christ, holy, perfect, without flaw, without blemish. Everything he did, everything he thought, everything he said was perfect and right and, and giving. Everything about him was perfect. Nobody can deny that. And then there's me, full of sin, full of, of past, uh, full of uh, a criminal record with God. And, you know, I never got in trouble with the law. Uh, and going to jail or something like that. But I've got a criminal record with God. And this Jesus who never sinned took my place. And so amazingly, I get put over on in his column, so to speak, on the judgment book. And he gets placed on mine. And when he takes my place, that's where he dies. He dies a death that I should die. Imputation is he took my place so I could take his. And you talk about anything that's unfair. That's unfair. God's not going to be fair with you when you stand before him. It won't turn out right. God asks you to accept Jesus Christ beaten, pummeled, whipped, and murdered on the cross by religious people and by politicians that we trust. And there he is, and by the crowd crying out, we don't want him anyway. What was he doing? He was taking a sinner's place. Me? He was condemned, and I walk away pardoned. I think that's great, amen? Is the gospel the best thing you've ever heard? There is nothing better. Well, I like learning about, you know, the, the, the rapture and the end times and about Babylon. You can learn all you want about all that stuff. It won't help anybody. What will help you is to learn Jesus died for you. And he was buried and rose again so you could follow him all the way to heaven. <laughs> Why would you want anybody else? That's how you get made righteous. Let me explain it another way. Pretend like I'm a judge. And I've got Oshin here. He's a criminal. I mean the worst of criminals. I don't like you, but I decide to love you. I love you not because you're lovely, by the way, but I make a choice as a judge to love you. And that's God's love for us. God doesn't have this ooey-gooey, fig-newton type of love. 
He doesn't have his love based on his feelings. He has a decision he made to love sinners. And he looked down at Oshin. I'm looking at you. People hate me using them for examples, but it's a good example. And as a criminal, the judge saying, the punishment's got to fit the crime, and the punishment is death. The death penalty has to hold in this situation. But I'll tell you what I'll do. I will step down, and I will lose my robe in front of the bailiff and all the other men in this room and people who are police officers and Garda. I will become the criminal, and you will be pardoned. Would you like that? What do you think? Okay. So at that moment when he takes off that robe and they begin to put uh, a, uh, handcuffs on him and then begin to shake him and pull him toughly down, down that hall and out to the prison and then they mistreat him like they would have mistreated you and they disrespect him like they would have disrespected you and then they don't feed him well. You know, they just give him prison food. I don't know what the prison is like or anything. But they begin to treat him and uh, mistreat him. And then you're sitting there and all the court leaves and you're like, I'm free. How do you think you'd live having a second chance? You think you'd live differently? And how would you, how would you think, what kind of, what would you think of the judge who just took your blame and took your punishment and went off and lost everything he had, the power he had, he had the, the, the prestige, he had the money, and he gave it all up, and he said, I love you, and I want you to know freedom, and I'll give you a second chance. And it cost the judge everything, didn't it? See, God just doesn't look down and say, all right, you're in, you're not, you're in, you're not. You know. He doesn't do that. He says, I'll pay for every last one of you, and I'll pay it with my own life. And too many people just sit there, and they have no idea at what cost and at what freedom we've got. That is being made right with God. That is imputation. Imputation is a transfer of his righteousness to a sinner and my sin onto him. And it's awesome. <laughs> Where is boasting then? Look at verse 27. Back in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 and verse 27. <laughs> Paul then just asks the obvious question, who can boast? Paul asks a few final questions. Number one, who has anything to boast or brag about their salvation? Verse 27, where is boasting then? Who can say, I've cleansed my own sins. I've redeemed my own sin debts. I've saved my own soul. Can anybody say that? Can anybody brag about their salvation? No, look what it says. It is excluded. <laughs> no one. He then asks a question. Well, let me just quote it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. If you know it, say it with me. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift, not of works, lest any man should boast. Look down there in verse Verse 27, he says, where is boasting then? It is excluded. Ask the second question. Well, what law saved then? Was it the law of works, the law of do's and don'ts? No, but by the law of what? Faith. Isn't that beautiful? That is just so cool that there's, there's, there's nothing you do. It's just believe. It's the law that works. The only person who deserves any honor 
And the only person who can be bragged about saving anyone is Jesus Christ. Awesome stuff, man. Final question. Is God the God of the Jews only? Look in verse 28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only because they claim to be able to do the law? No. Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yea, of, or yes, of the Gentiles also. The Jews had forgotten that God is the only God there is. Amen? So if he's the God of the Jews, guess who he's the God of? The Irish as well. Even when Ireland was run by Druids, even when it was infiltrated, uh, infiltrated, what is it? <laughs> Overrun by uh, Norwegian Thor worshipers. Who is the God of Israel, of, 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 of Ireland? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one God, folks. And that one God, if that's true, man, he's the God of all the earth. And that means we're going to make a conclusion here. Verse 28, he's going to make his final conclusions. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of law. Number one, salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone. Not of ourselves, it's all in him, without the deeds of law. Number two, keep going, verse 29. Uh, God's way is the only way. If he's the God of the Jews, he's also the God of the Gentiles, which means this. Uh, verse 30, seeing it is one God which shall justify the Jews, the circumcision by faith, and uncircumcision, that's everybody else, through the same faith. Isn't that awesome? Uh, I got I to stay with my notes because I, I get to too many different directions I go on. Uh, there's not a Jewish way to get saved, not a Catholic way or a Baptist way. It's only Jesus' way, by faith in Jesus alone. If, these, if he's the only God there is, then his way of salvation is the only way that there is. And listen to the last verse, verse 31. Because to a Jew, this was overturning. This is saying the law is not important anymore. Oh, no, that's not true. Verse 31, do we then make void the law through faith? Does faith get rid of the law? God forbid, we establish the law. So the truth is, the law has not been replaced by faith. It has been accomplished by faith. I can be righteous. I can live as if I have never sinned by faith. Isn't that awesome? I can receive a, 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 a position in the family of God as if I was never a sinner before. Not that I wasn't, but that he has paid for it all. The law has not been replaced. No, is the law still good? Oh, you better believe it. Like I said, it reminds us we're sinners. It reminds us of coming judgment. And that's very, very important. So, uh, Galatians 3, and we're done. We're finished with Romans chapter 3. Galatians, to the right, just a few pages. I'll show you this. Just after First and Second Corinthians comes Galatians chapter 3 and verse 23. Romans, oh, sorry, Galatians 3.23 says, But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith. We were waiting for something to free us, which was the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster. How many had a schoolmaster growing up? Every one of us did. Teachers and principals. 
The law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. The law never saved anybody. It brought us to Christ, didn't it? That we might be justified, here are his words, by faith. But after the faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God, not by works, but by what? By faith in Christ Jesus. Is that good news to a lawbreaker? I mean, if you were a criminal. If you really were as bad as your mom says you are. It'd be good news to know you can be white as snow. Criminal record can be gone. Amen. Let's stand. Let's bow our heads in prayer. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, I ask it every time, and I, I know maybe, I don't care if you get tired of it or not, <clears throat> but there may be, and there probably is somebody here today who has sat through gospel messages, and you sat through the Bible, and you've listened to it, and you've analyzed it, and then you decided not to believe it. That's your choice. That is your choice, and you're free to make that. Jesus is a gentleman. He went ahead and died without your permission, <laughs> but he waits for you to want him. He waits for you to want to be saved, and he waits for you to finally understand that he loves you and he made a decision to love you not because you were so lovely and so awesome but because he loved you he thinks you're worth more than the entire world and you are you have a never dying soul that he does not want to go to hell he is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance and if you are not a born-again christian you say well i'm a catholic i'm, I'm a baptist I, those are all labels but they're not, a, they're, not, they're not what saves you. Jesus saves. And if you've never humbled yourself and allowed him to have done all that for you, not just for the world, but for you, if you've never said, you did that for me, I accept that freedom, that forgiveness, that justification. If you did all that for me, I now receive it by faith. I'm not looking for a good feeling. I mean, I, you probably would have a good feeling if you believed it. But don't look for the feeling. Look for the reality that you can walk out of this room, not a perfect man, not a sinless man or woman, but a forgiven one. All you got to do is ask. Jesus said to the woman at the well, if you knew who it was that was talking to you and asking of you a drink of water, you would ask of him. You would ask of him and he would give thee living water. Your friend, you can ask this morning. Father, I just thank you for the gospel. I thank you for, it, it must have been amazing for churches all over Rome to sit down and read this letter week after week and ponder the, the reality and the truth of the gospel that had, that had come into Rome, had spread throughout the empire, was going into all cultures, all languages, all religions, and people are getting saved and understanding all that Jesus did. I can never get tired of it. Yeah, I got saved 42 years ago, but it's as fresh today to me as it was back then. I pray that it would be stay that way in every Christian's life. We'd never get bored of the gospel. And we would start living the gospel, that we are free we don't have to stay the way we were. Our marriage doesn't have to stay the way it is. Our families, our kids don't have to live with mom and dad that they've always done. They can live with people who are new creatures in Christ. Our neighbors, our coworkers, everyone can see the gospel in us if we start to live it.
and maybe today we got to appreciate it a lot more than maybe we have in the past. But if there's somebody in here who's not saved, I pray they get saved today. Not by trying to be good, but by crying out, desperate cry, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Save me. Jesus, you promise, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's that easy. May it be true today in Jesus' name. Amen.